Welcome to the Loved Called Gifted podcast. This is your place to come for musings about spirituality, identity and purpose. I'm your host, Catherine Cowell. I'm delighted to be joined for this episode of the podcast by Tracy Sickle. Thank you very much, Tracy, for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. So we are recording at New Wine. Tracy and I met yesterday and it really looked like this might be a good conversation to have. So because we're recording at New Wine, I don't think that our sound is going to be entirely without interruption. So we're expecting potentially to be rain, could be wind battering the building, definitely music and worship practice. But welcome, Tracy. Would you like to just introduce yourself briefly? Yes. So I'm Tracy Sickle. I'm a free church prison chaplain. I'm also the CEO of Imago Day, which is an organisation that works with women in the criminal justice system in prison and outside of prison. As I was walking past your stand, it was the thing that said she matters that really kind of touched me. And I, I wonder if you just want to talk a little bit about what that means to you in the context of what you're doing. Yeah, so the She Matters shop that we have, the She Matters community work that we have, all, was all born out of basically COVID. We were all struggling at home with lockdown, you know, being separated from family, loved ones, all struggling with being kind of indoors. I am a prison chaplain, but I was going into prison as a key worker. And the only thing I was able to do was to talk to the ladies through the crack in the door during COVID. And they were literally in their room sometimes for 20 three and a half hours a day. And we thought we had it tough outside. Um, And for me, what we did then was we launched a campaign to say hashtag she matters, you know, and that went across all of our social media platforms because those ladies, despite what they've done to get where they are, you know, they they matter. So we came up with a strap line about, you know, whatever she's done, wherever she's been, whether she's a mum, whether she's a wife, daughter, sister, auntie, she matters. And it was really to raise awareness of women caught up in the criminal justice that oftentimes are forgotten. You know, a lot of people think they deserve to be there. Um, But my experience has always been that behind every situation, every person there's always a set of circumstances yeah so what we wanted to do was just to highlight and raise awareness of those women and just help people to understand that people within the criminal justice system do matter so yeah we are a specifically women organization and so we coined the phrase hashtag she matters so that's where it was all born from and everything else has kind of grown out of that yeah just listening to you I can really hear the passion that you have for the women that you are ministering to And I wonder if you could kind of take us back to where did that story start for you? So I didn't have the best upbringing in life and kind of left school when I was um, 15. I hardly ever went to school. And I had 23 different jobs over the years. I had got twin daughters. um, I had some time out uh, childminding and left basically 23 jobs later. I was actually in a role in a Christian organisation for five years. And I really thought that that's where the Lord wanted me to be. Life was happy. I was in a role that I was content in. And then a man came into our church. And he ran the service as though he was running a service in a prison. And just the Lord laid on my heart a real passion and a hunger, really, for knowing more about prison ministry and wanting to get alongside people caught up in prison. Because if it hadn't really been for one of my or my youth leaders when I was 15, going to, along to youth club and having people invest in me, I think because I'd had a troubled childhood, I could quite easily have been a lady in prison. And, and so the Lord just laid it on my heart. And so after five years of being in a particular role that I thought I'd enjoyed, 
I began to realise that God actually had um, a calling on my life was to kind of get involved in prison. It took about a year for me to kind of work that one out and, and to be obedient to that. And eventually that same guy that came to church, he asked me if I'd work for him. I originally had contacted him and asked him if he had any volunteer opportunities. And eventually, after volunteering for him for about a year, he asked me if I'd go and work um, full time with him, which I did. My previous employer gave me his blessing. He knew that he could see he could see the hunger and you know um, what God was doing in my life. And so yeah, I started to work as a prison chaplain in 2010. And yeah, 13 years later, I'm still doing that. So I'm a free church prison chaplain. Five years down the line into that, um, I realised having worked in both men's and women's prisons, that the system was pretty much set up purely for men. Men make up 96% of the prison population, but those 4% of women are often overlooked. So the Lord laid it on my heart to minister to those, you know, the 4% and to set up an organisation. So that's when Imago Day was birthed. Um, and it came out of that that hunger and passion, just listening to, you know, someone come into my church and inspire me. And I think, yeah, I look back now and I could easily have been one of those women that I've kind of ministered to in prison if it hadn't have been for the grace of God, but the love of um, and the persistence of, you know, being loved into the kingdom by youth leaders. Mm. So what was it that those youth leaders were doing and what was God doing through them that took you from being at risk of being in prison yourself to being stable enough to be holding down a job for five years? Just loving, basically consistency and just people that would accept me for who I was with all of my problems and just love me into the kingdom. Um, acceptance, love, grace. And just, I think they saw something in me that maybe I hadn't seen in myself or that nobody else had seen. I felt valued, you know, loved and valued um, and never received that in the family unit. So, you know, to be able to get that from somebody, I wanted to go back each week, you know, and I enjoyed going back and it was just that consistency. And then obviously the Lord, you know, I became a Christian um, at the age of 15 and then got baptised. I eventually moved in with my youth leaders when I um, got thrown out of home, actually. So, yeah, they were just consistent, always there and always kind of praying for me, but drew the gold out of me that obviously I wasn't seeing within myself. And that's part of you know, my passion is that many of the women don't know their value. They don't know their worth. They've never been told they're loved. And that was my experience. So I'm able to kind of, you know, go from or you know, turn that situation into a positive and make sure that people now know um, in that same situation that you know there's hope hope for them um, and hope for their futures yeah and they really put their money where their mouth is didn't they they said it yeah absolutely yeah yeah and it's amazing what that kind of consistently accepting you and believing that there was good in you yeah we're still in touch now they're getting on a bit now and you know I've brought my children up and they you know they're kind of grandparents to my children and you know it's lovely that we're still able to stay in touch and you know very much a big encouragement to me over the years and remain to this day yeah so can you remember the first time that you walked into a prison? Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> it's quite scary. It was actually Brixton Prison in London with my boss. And I went in to help with a Bible study with a load of men, obviously, being in a men's prison. And I was actually very surprised. I was thinking it would be, you know, quite, um, I'd feel quite, intimidated or vulnerable but they were just amazing people you know and there was a lot of whether they were looking at me as a, a sister figure or whatever but very respectful you know and mind your language as a lady present and you know you know very caring and I had no need to feel intimidated or you know hu you know humiliated or vulnerable or any of those things because they were just a really lovely bunch of people and I think the more you go in and it's often times now when I'm working with people you take someone in it becomes contagious the more you go in the more you want to go in and you know you get that bug so yeah that was well 14 years ago now. Yeah. So what were some of the first moments of you really seeing God at work in the prison? So I did my training, as I say, in, in Brixton and then worked in Holloway, which is now closed. But I used to work in Holloway up on, in those days, they used to categorise different people and put them in different um, places within the prison, dependent on their crime. And so there was a lifer unit. So I did all of my training up on the lifer unit. So everybody there 
um, was there because they'd even taken one or two people's lives. And that was where I did my training. And yeah, just seeing some of the people, just some of the nicest people that were misunderstood or not been listened to. And yeah, just there because of circumstances, sometimes out of their control, just listening to some of the brokenness. But I think one of my fondest memories is seeing a lady come around the corner. She was a, a Muslim lady wearing the full kind of hijab and she came around the corner and we nearly bumped into each other. And eventually she ended up, I'm still working with her now, kind of 12 years later. She's given her life to the Lord. She is obviously converted to Christianity through all of that. She was a Muslim that, you know, became a Muslim because of her husband and the pressures of that ended up in prison. Being able to journey with her over the last 13 years um, has been really special and she's now coming up to release um, pr parole so still being able to walk that journey with her and support her through the ups and downs the bereavements the, the, the joys you know and just obviously yeah, becoming a Christian um, was just amazing amazing we've lost contact over the, for a few years she went off to a different prison to do a course but she's now kind of back um, where one of the prisons that I go in so I go into three women's prisons a week and just seeing her uh, every week and the journey that she's been on it's just um, real fond memories yeah, just seeing how God works in that brokenness, you know. And what would she say were some of the things that have changed for her as a result of her encounter with God? Again, I think it's consistency. It's people that are prepared to listen to her, people that are, you know, will take her as she comes and just work with her at her pace, not try and put anything on her. You know, chaplaincy, we're there for people of all faiths and no faiths, but um, we're consistent. So, you know, every week that I've got the opportunity to uh, despite whatever else I've got going on, even if I've got courses going on, I will try and go and look in on her. And, you know, it can be the highlight of someone's week, just seeing a chaplain, you know, and it's just that consistent love, consistent prayer, being able to support them through whatever. If they're having a bad week, you know, being able to pray for them. Uh, if they're having a fun week and they don't want to be prayed for that week, then that's fine, you know, but it's just showing up, listening to them um, and also showing them respect and love. And I think that's what her biggest thing would be is to say that she just feels validated. Yeah. yeah and cared for and listen she's not just a number but you know she's a lady um, with hope and she'd love to come to our house um, as well we're aiming to open a house at the end of the year and she's always saying to me when is it going to open so she could be potentially one of the first ladies into our house and that's quite exciting yeah so tell us about your house so yes we are planning on opening um, a property in kent area uh, hopefully by the end of this year uh, early next year it'll be a property where we have six ladies coming out of the open women's prison basically coming to live with us as a kind of a, a, a stepping stone to getting accommodation and employment of their own so we've worked for the last four years looking at various different projects we've been in touch with all of the different prisons we've looked at kind of eligibility criteria we've spoken to the women and asked them what they would want in a house we've done surveys we've spoken to the ministry of justice you know we've got some funding for it and we're now fundraising to um, come up with the first year's overheads and the first year's running costs basically and so yeah we hope to launch that and so the grace stands for uh, growth uh, the g a place where they continue to learn continue to be invested in they'll get basic life skills uh, many of them have come from the care system and you know have got basic very very basic existence and um, skills so we want to do kind of cv writing budgeting cooking various you know just basic things that some of us would just take for granted many of them have never been parented well so parenting classes things like that so it's a place of growth it's a place of resettlement it's not a forever home it's a place where they can come and like i say be invested in but with a, a, the potential to move on to resettle well to get back into community and to be re-established. The A is for acceptance. So we're a Christian home, a Christian organization, but it's a place where anybody of any faith is welcome to come, to you know, to feel welcome, um, loved, cared for, and accepted. And C 
it's a place of comfort. So it's not just a, a hostel or a refuge, but it's a place that they can call home where they're responsible and they feel responsible for it. They want to be there. And it's a place of comfort that you know, I would happily stay in myself. And E is where they will encounter and hopefully encounter the love of God through the staff that we have there and it just encounter um, the Father's heart for them. So yeah, Grace House, um, we're looking to open it hopefully at the end of this year. Brilliant. So what was it that's missing in the system that made you think, actually, we need this? Yeah. So after working for five years and obviously being in Holloway, I would be in Holloway. I would leave Holloway on a Friday afternoon and quite often see women coming back on a Monday. I mean, it just really struck my heart that why are we locking people up, doing nothing with them and expecting them to come out any different? Oftentimes they don't. They come out more traumatized, having felt more guilty because of what's happened with their family while they've been in prison. Oftentimes they come out more criminalized because of who they've been rubbing shoulders with. Uh, it just seems nonsense to me, or it seemed nonsense that we were locking people up and not dealing with some of those issues that had contributed to them coming to prison in the first place. So whenever I would see them on induction, there would be issues of unforgiveness issues of loss, which maybe cause them to turn to drugs or alcohol. Parenting, they've never been parented. They come straight from the care system at the age of 18. Self-worth is a huge thing. They've never been validated, as I've said. They've never been told that they're loved or precious. So we run a course that looks at that specifically because that's why I started uh, Imago Day purely because we're look, locking people up and they're not coming out any differently unless we invest time in them and help them to rehabilitate and get healed and whole while they're in custody so that when they come out they can be productive members of society making better choices and living the hopes and the dreams that many of them have. Yeah so it sounds like from everything that you've been saying and from your own story it sounds like it's not that people go around sort of maliciously doing evil and ending up in prison. It it sounds very much as if what you're saying is that there are always things that, that cause that in the first place. Absolutely. Family breakdown, poverty, having to put food on the table, you know, yet they may have been separated from a husband or a partner, trying to put food on the family for their children, tax evasion, you know, everybody, um, you know, within the prison system could get, easily get caught up in all sorts of things that, you know, many of us in society could easily get caught up in. There's a set of circumstances behind many of them. Sadly, a lot of the situations behind a woman is a man, um, coercion, you know, being um, drug mules, pushed into things that, that maybe they haven't wanted to be involved in, survival, um, all of those things contribute to women kind of coming into the prison system and yeah it could happen to absolutely any one of us you know they're absolutely lovely people many of them you know and some of the nicest people I've met are people in the prison system and they just need that opportunity to shine that opportunity to like I was be invested in and taught a different way we have generations of people so you know in my courses I can have mums aunties sisters grandparents you know uh, grandmas in the same prison all at the same time and what I love about our parenting course as well is that gives us the opportunity to end generational um, mindsets, you know, to give them a new way of thinking. You know, some people are born into that kind of lifestyle. And so it's how do we change that? How do we kind of change ideas and mindsets? But I believe we can, you know, I think um, the Lord can help us with that. And obviously everything we do, we do through the chaplaincy department. And obviously being a chaplain there, I'm not allowed to proselytize, but I can support the women, encourage the women and tell them when I get the opportunity that Jesus makes all the difference um, in their hearts, in their lives, should they put their trust in him. Uh, and many of them, they do try. They say, well, I've tried everything else. So why not give God a try? You know, I've tried the drugs and the drink and the sex and everything else. But yeah. I'll give it a go, you know. So we do see women engaging in Bible study and coming to service. And quite often we do evening worship sessions as well. And they, they come along. Uh, it's not just because they want to get out of their cell. Sometimes it is. But there's a real genuine hunger 
because they, you know, they've got hope, you know, and that that's the difference is, you know, a lot of them, we take the hope in there. When I go in, my aim each day is to just bring hope to the people that I meet. And so, yeah, with the chaplaincy team behind us, we've got the potential to change those lives. The Lord does that through us. So we're grateful for those opportunities. Yeah. So you've called your ministry Imago Deo, which means image of God. Yep. Really the the theme that seems to be running through what you're saying is that I, I've still got this picture from what you said of of there being gold in people that you're wanting to draw out and that, that sense of preciousness and worth that people are lacking. So tell us a bit about about how you do that. You say you've got a course. So what are the key things that you're kind of talking to people about or helping them to understand? Yeah, our flagship course is called Flourish, which is a course that I wrote with a colleague based on what we were hearing uh, within the prison and what we were seeing, which was just a real kind of lack of self-confidence, self-esteem, self-respect. So our course is a six-week course. It's called Flourish because I think every one of us has got the potential to flourish wherever we are, whatever we've done. The first two weeks, we look at identity. So who am I? Who are you? What is it that makes you, you and me, me? We look a little bit about value. We look at um, uniqueness. We look at comparison, basically helping the women to be confident and comfortable in their own skin and realising that, you know, being unique is a good thing. Being different is a good thing, but also helping them to see their their sense of self-worth and self-respect. As I say, many haven't um, ever received that or they've never been taught that, that they're loved, they're precious. So we remind them that, yeah, they're made in the image of God, um, fearfully and wonderfully made and that, yeah, they are beautiful despite their circumstances or where they've been, but that they have great potential. Uh, the next two weeks, we look at wholeness. So we look at healthy relationships. We look at boundaries, self-care, well-being. And yeah, just basically to help the women to realize. So we've done who they are and then we look at how they are. So how, you know, how are they feeling? How are their emotions? How do they manage those emotions with a, a view to, you know, helping them to fit, live that whole balanced kind of lifestyle? And then the last two weeks, we look at destiny. What is it? that you've got inside of you? How are you going to get that potential out? Because each one of us has got the potential to live life, to make a difference, to flourish. So we ask them, you know, what are your dreams? What are your goals? How are you going to make that happen? What action plan do you need to put in place? And not necessarily when they're out, but what can they be doing while they're in the prison setting to be the best version of them, to get on track to what they want to achieve as they leave? So it's a very positive course that runs in all three prisons that we um, currently work in. We have a big take up and a big long waiting list because many of them have to do it as part of their sentence plan. So the prison have seen that it's important. They've seen that the women kind of do flourish having done it, but equally they know that there's an issue with them um, having that real low self-esteem that's been knocked out of them. They've been, you know, uh, they've got trauma, abuse in their lifestyle uh, previous to prison. So the prison, the officers basically, or the sentence board say they have to do that before they leave. They can also self-refer. So word of mouth is amazing. Some people do it and then they tell their friends that they need to do that course. So yeah, we've, we get some really good positive feedback from that course and it really does make a difference. Yeah. So what sort of things are people saying to you after they've been on the course? We do um, a survey. So we come up with a survey. Um, we ask the ladies to complete a survey once they've finished the course and some of the comments that we receive are very, very positive. There's one one lady here I'm just reading out. She says, the course has helped me to focus on my self-identity and evaluate my options. I feel unique and that's a good thing. I've been told now that I have a much more positive and focused approach to everything I'm facing. The course is amazing and should be compulsory for all to attend. Mm. Another lady says, I've learned that I am an individual and not to compare myself with others, to be positive about my life and even my future. Finally, the last one I read is, uh, I am a special person with lots of potential and lots to give. I want to share what I have. I now look at myself in a new light and will not believe the lies that I've been told. 
So yeah, we, we just get lots of positive um, outcome. And what I love about it is that many of them, we start the group off, maybe 10, 12 ladies. They don't know each other necessarily, but by the end of the course, they're already bigging each other up and encouraging each other. And it's just lovely to see them kind of all you know, reach their potential together. We finished the last session by doing a collage, like a mood board of where they would like to be in their future. And that's just such a, a rewarding kind of session when they're all kind of future focused and talking about, you know, life beyond prison, what they want it to look like and how they're going to go about it. And so, yeah, we, we love doing that course and it's rewarding for us, but I really believe that it does have the you know potential to change their lives and helping them to just to know that they're unique and special and that, you know, captains of their own destiny if you like yeah which is incredible given the situation that they're in and and the real kind of battering of their self-esteem and self-worth that happens before prison and inevitably you know becoming a number in the prison system is dehumanizing isn't it absolutely yeah you know oftentimes they're either their surname you know being yelled down the corridor or you know on paperwork it's just their number so for us you know and they love to be have their names remembered for us to remember a name it just is so powerful you know to remember and each week to call them by their name or, or to learn their names and not just when we're in the course but as i wander the wings you know being able to call people by name it just means so much to them that someone has remembered that and that you know even that alone is just giving them hope and placing value on them because you know oftentimes they're just you know the officers are doing a job they don't have the time to encourage them or build them up but you know the relationships we're able to form wandering around the prison yeah it's just really precious to be able to do that yeah and i'm wondering if you have any stories to share of of people who have kind of come through your courses for whom things have really significantly changed yeah, absolutely. So last year I was actually um, contacted um, through our website um, by a lady and she sent me an email. She said, hi, I don't know if you remember me, but I did my course with you three years ago in a particular prison. And of course, I did remember her um, and we arranged to meet up in town for a coffee. She actually didn't live far from where, where our office was. And so we met up, we had a coffee. And when she first came to prison, she was from the traveller community. She couldn't read, she couldn't write, and, and she just had very little hope. And she came and she did a parenting course with us. We helped her to complete her book. We had someone working alongside her and helping her to, you know, complete the book, do the writing for her. She actually learned to read and write in prison. She There's a, there's a um, a scheme um, where the prisoners themselves can teach other prisoners how to write and how to read. So she learned how to read and she learned how to write. And I've worked with her for maybe seven years. And then she left, as I say, three years ago, but she contacted me. And before she left, she moved to the open prison and she was going out and she was doing a floristry course, an NVQ in horticulture. And it was lovely to be able to see her going out on day release to go out and get that qualification. But what happened subsequent to that was uh, she came out, she started her own florist shop. She also then did a course in beauty. So she's now run um, a floristry course out in the community together with a beauty salon. She goes to church, so she gave her life to the Lord while I was working with her in the prison system. Um, so occasionally she'll come to church with me on a Sunday and we can stand next to each other and worship together. But the most exciting thing is that when she contacted me, she said, I just want to learn to give back. I want to be able to give back because of what I received in that course. And I now have her coming into the same prison where she was a prisoner as a free lady who's transformed her life, who is able to share with the women just the amazing journey of transformation that she's been on, glorifying God in the process. So she's able to sit there and say, I was a prisoner where you are. And the women, I can talk the stuff in prison, but she can hold an audience. So she, the women just can't believe it. They say to her, what, you were here? And she says, yeah, I sat in those chairs where you're sitting and would be on the same house block as you were in or the same wing that you were in. And now, you know, I've turned my life around completely. And so when they're doing their collages at the end, you know, she's able to sit there and say, this is what I did on my collage, you know, and 10 years later, almost, you know, she's totally made a, a difference 
not just in her own life and her family's life, but in the lives of the prisoners that she's kind of working with when she comes in with me. So that was our success story from, from last year. Um, and yeah, to be able to worship with her in church sometimes um, is incredible as well. That's an extra bonus on top. Yeah, that's truly, truly amazing, isn't it? We've got several ladies that um, kind of with lived experience of prison that volunteer with us uh, and come in and facilitate courses. And yeah, it's just such a powerful thing to see kind of, you know, the redemptive nature of the Lord and how he's turned lives around and how he's able to use that again, you know, helping others. So there's a motto that I always say, people get fed up of me saying it in prison, but also in our charity is God wastes nothing, but uses everything. And I totally believe that every one of those ladies has got the potential within them to, you know, when they, they grasp who they are and what they want to do with their life they've got the potential to do that and that's what we're all about is helping them to feel loved valued to know their worth know their self um, respect and just to invest in who they are you know and to to keep going yeah so that's what we do <laughs> yeah and just it's just a profoundly jesus ministry isn't it to be reaching out to people who society would not see as having value absolutely and you know it's it's a real privilege for me to be able to do that and to take people in and oftentimes as you say yeah they're the forgotten people of society because a lot of people think they deserve to be there but people don't realize that you know the reasons that they're there and the fact that we all deserve a second chance you know god is a god of second chances and more and so yeah to be able to do that it's just our privilege to be able to do that day in and day out to take Jesus into those places. Absolutely, yeah. They're very dark places sometimes, but to be able to take the light and, you know, for us to have people praying for us is just so important as well. We know that, you know, we're up against dark things within the prison system, but we know that there's an army of people that pray for us and support us. And so, yeah, it's a privilege just to be able to walk those landings and, yeah, take the Lord with us where we go. He goes before us. That's brilliant. So if people wanted to to know more about your ministry, to pray for you, to give or to get involved, how would they find out more, Tracy? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a website. We have several websites, but our main website, if you go to www.idprisonministry.org.uk, and that links to our other websites, but it's also got on there all of our social media handles and also a giving page as well. We have a newsletter that goes out every other month, and we have a prayer email that goes out twice a week um, asking people to pray for specific things. And we would love all the support that we can get, yeah. Thank you. That's brilliant. Thank you ever so much for sharing your story. That's been wonderful. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Loved Called Gifted podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email lovedcalledgifted at gmail.com. You can find a transcript of this podcast at lovedcalledgifted.com. And that's also the place to go if you're interested in the Loved Called Gifted course or if you'd like to find out about spiritual direction or coaching. Thank you for listening.